Good evening. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 25. Made it through chapter 24. Not too many people have left the church. <laughs> and we got music. So we continue through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. And it's basically three illustrations that Jesus is giving that are tied in to what he has spoken about through chapter 24. But I think what they are going to do is also give us a little clarity on the intention of what he spoke about in the last chapter. Uh, I hope that it will help us to really be able to put some application to a lot of the things that Jesus did say, even as we tried to do as we are going through that chapter. And so let's read verses 1 through 13. We'll try and get through the whole chapter here tonight. Verse 1, chapter 25, Jesus is speaking. He says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are gone out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were, already, who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pray. Father, as we again look at these words, may our hearts and our understanding be open. Father, may we desire to not only hear these things, but allow them access into our lives to shape us and how we live. Thank you again for an opportunity to gather together, and we ask your Spirit's help in understanding and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have a story, a parable of ten virgins, and, and he talks about those who are wise. And the word for wise that he's using here is to be mindful of one's interests. And it's real important because that is the intent that he's showing us here. Now, this story to us seems a little strange. You know, it, it seems a little out there, but this is a common scenario at that time. Weddings were a lot different than they are today. And so when there would be a wedding, they didn't get married and then go off to a honeymoon. They got married and would have a wedding feast that would last one to three weeks. 
And before that wedding would take place, there would be a big fanfare. The, the bridegroom would go through the streets and he would take as long as he could because the longer he, he took, the more people he would encounter, the more people would give them gifts and blessings because that's what these ten virgins are doing. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come so that they could join the procession to make it to the wedding and the wedding feast. And you wouldn't know when he's coming. They would say, yeah, they're getting married. When? It's going to be this week. They didn't have invitations with little ribbons on it saying, you know, save the date. Because they didn't know the date. It was going to be this week. And then it was going to last another week. And this is a big deal. They were actually allowed to stop their studies of the law to celebrate a wedding. It was a big deal. And it would last for weeks. And so all you knew was this week it's going to happen. And so they were ready to join the procession. They were decked out. And to go out at night, you needed a lamp. You couldn't just go out in the dark without a lamp. It was a necessity. If you were going to join this procession with the bridegroom, you were required to have a lamp. And so the wise virgins that it's talking about here were mindful of what was necessary to be a part of this wedding procession to join the bridegroom and make it to the wedding and to be part of the feast they had to be prepared and so they had their lamps and they had their jars of oil for a reserve and they were waiting and sure enough as night would come you know they'd get tired we've been waiting but they would fall asleep because you gotta sleep gotta eat do all those things, but then all of a sudden they hear, the bridegroom's coming, and so they got to get up, trim their oils, get their lamps. We're part of the recession. It's here. The procession's here. Let's join. Woo-hoo, the party started. Yay. They go there, and they head off to the thing, and they make their way down to the wedding banquet. That was how it took place. And so this scenario that Jesus is painting, even though it's a little strange to us, it was very common to them. They all understood what it meant. They understood the necessity of the oil in the lamps, the necessity of the lamps, the necessity to be prepared and waiting. All those things were commonplace to them, even though they're not to us. But there's a message that Jesus is teaching us. And it's important that we understand what that message is. And so we want to look at who do these five foolish virgins represent? And more importantly, what's the point of this parable? And so let me throw those questions out here. Who do you think is represented by the five foolish virgins? And what do you think the point is of this parable? What strikes you guys as you read and hear this parable? Need to be prepared for Jesus to come. Who are the five foolish virgins? They weren't ready. So are they all those who aren't ready for Jesus to come? I'm not trick questioning you guys. I know everyone's like, what's he going to know? That's not the right answer. Again, remember the idea of wisdom is mindful. It's having a mindful interest in what's taking place. And I think that's real key to this story. Because the wise ones were the ones who knew what was happening. They were aware of the wedding that's taking place, aware of the need for the oil, aware that it could happen at any time. And so they had this mindfulness. 
And notice too that, you know, they were actually had to be woke. They'd fallen asleep. So it wasn't like falling asleep was bad. No, you got to sleep. They fell asleep, but when they woke up, it was okay because we're ready. We got the oil, we got the lamps, we're good to go. The foolish, on the other hand, didn't. Now, I believe there's an immediate significance with the Jewish people at this time where the Messiah had come and they weren't ready. And so there's an immediate application that you can place here and that Matthew has been pointing to throughout his gospel. He's been pointing to the fact that Jesus was going to come, the chief cornerstone that the, the people rejected, the builders rejected, would become the cornerstone, and that all these other nations were going to be blessed and be a part of it. Throughout this parables and things, we see Matthew pointing us in this direction of the Gentile nations now being accepted and a part of God. And, and so I believe there is an immediate significance that takes place right there at the time that Jesus is presenting. But I know it's also got a longer term application talking about when the Lord returns because it says at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so at that time, what does that time mean? Well, connected to chapter 24, it seems like it's going to be talking about the end of the age. But when he throws this idea the kingdom of heaven will be like, by now you guys should be hearing, your ears should pop up whenever you hear the kingdom of heaven because we just went through two months of the kingdom of heaven talking about it. And the kingdom of heaven is not just at the end. It's something that is here now proceeding and will, again, manifest itself. And so when they say the kingdom of heaven, it should include a lot more than just that end time. With the king comes the kingdom. And so there's definitely an application that takes place right then and there. But there is also a warning for all that there is going to have to live, we are going to have to live lives and be prepared at all times. Now, being prepared at all times because the Lord could come. I, I don't know about you, but what strikes me and these things is, is okay, if I'm, if I'm doing something wrong, when the Lord comes, then I'm unwise servant. You know, if I'm angry at my kids and, and I'm irritable and grouchy that day, oh no, I missed it. Anyone else have those kinds of thoughts or been thought, you know, oh no, if I, I'm not, you know, in the right frame of mind, if I'm coveting, you know, if I'm lusting, if, if I'm doing something, if I'm indulging in too much chocolate, it, it, it could be anything. If I'm not living the way I should be living, when the, the bridegroom comes, I, I've, I've blown it, I'm not ready. And we have that kind of scenario, and I think that's a little misguided. There are a number of times where the scriptures present these things that just seem impossible. Pray without ceasing. Well, I'm talking right now. How can I pray without ceasing? I'm supposed to be talking, but I'm supposed to be praying without ceasing. What does that mean? Or everything, bring every thought into captivity. I have over a million thoughts a day. You do too. You don't remember all of them. See, did you bring them into captivity? If you don't even remember what they were, 
What is he talking about? And you see, the idea of being ready, praying without ceasing, bringing every thought into captivity has to do with being wise, having a life that is mindful of the interests of God. It doesn't mean you're living a perfect life. It doesn't mean you're never going to do anything wrong. And if Jesus comes when you're doing something wrong, you don't get to make it. It means that you're living a life that is intent on following and being prepared for whatever the Lord has for you. Let's face it. There are billions of people who have died that it mattered if they were living as wise, living lives interested in the things of God or not. And so this application is something that takes place immediately as well as for when the Lord actually does come. The life that we're supposed to lead is one that is supposed to be mindful of these interests always, not just for some future day. And we have to just wait for that day. We talked about that a little bit last week, how some people, you know, well, I can just wait till I'm going to die and then I'll accept the Lord. Kind of an attitude that that's not going to cut it. That would be foolish. And so the idea here is one that we are to be constantly looking and mindful of the interests of the Lord, not just waiting for him to return but just be mindful and ready to have that life and intention of living that life for him. It also tells us that faith is something that we have to own ourselves. These foolish virgins couldn't go and tap into the wise ones and get some of their oil. Oil traditionally and throughout the scripture has been symbolic of the Holy Spirit. When the priests were anointed with oil, it was the idea of the Spirit of God being upon them. James tells us we're to anoint with oil. The idea, again, is the the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of oil is having the Spirit of God within you being a part of you, and you can't get that from someone else. I love William Barclay writes, a man cannot borrow a relationship with God. He must possess it himself. You can't borrow someone else's relationship with God. It's got to be yours. And so this parable is definitely saying it's got to be you. You got to have an intention and a relationship, and it's got to be something that's existing, current, And you have to be mindful. That's what it means to be wise. And so this should challenge us and and make us check our hearts and say, where am I at with God? What is this relationship? Am I mindful of his interests? Am I expecting him? Am I living with that expectation? Not just, well, one day he's going to come. Am I living with this idea of praying without ceasing, of bringing every thought into captivity to the submission? Is that my intention? Is that my life? Or is it my life? And I'll get some oil when I need it. The idea is being ready, being prepared. Keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. And I think the purpose is to bring just that point. Keep watch. Be mindful. Be wise. Let's go on and into the next parable. Again, 
It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. You can tell Matthew's a tax collector. That's kind of a tax-collecting term. Settled accounts with them. Seems like a, a CPA kind of a thing. Settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, no questions? Let's go on. Um, now, this parable is similar to one that Luke has in chapter 19, but it's uniquely different in that parable, each one is given the same amount, and there's a little different reaction in, in what happens. Again, we see Matthew as a tax collector definitely having this kind of understanding of settling accounts, interest, investment, all these things. But let me ask you, what are some things that stand out to you? As we read this parable, what are things that stand out to you in it? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah, yeah. He didn't know the master. He, if he knew him, he would have known the reaction. He didn't know the master. He's a hard man. And that has the idea that you are a person who's going to bring judgment. We have what we have for a reason. Great, good, great insights. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that 
in verse 15, it says that he gave each according to his ability. And, and so this master gave each person something according to their ability, 10, five, or one bag of gold. Uh, in older versions, it says talent. The idea is uh, of something of worth, money, whether they translate it here, gold, or they might be silver, but it's something valuable. And each one got what was according to their ability. And so it seems to be saying that God gives everyone something, and it varies according to their ability. And his commending the person with the five bags was exactly the same as the person with the ten bags. He didn't give, it was exactly the same. And notice too that the rewards were based on faithfulness, not on ability. It wasn't okay, you succeeded, it was good and faithful servant. So it, it had to do with their faithfulness. They were commended for being good and for being faithful both times. It wasn't because, well, yeah, you, you had a lot of ability and you made me more money. It was you were good. You were faithful. You see, this, this one is rather frightening because it's kind of the idea of use it or lose it. Right? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. It's you've been given something. What are you going to do with what you've been given? Again, there's an immediate application that can be applied to the scribes and the Pharisees who kept the law but did nothing to further the work of God. In fact, they were meticulous. They buried the law so that it could not be moved. And they were very strict in their observance of the law. But there was no life. There was no growth. There was no pursuing the other nations to bring them in. It was all about what we had. And they very much held on to it and didn't anything, didn't do anything to further the truth of God to others. And so there is an immediate application, again, I think that applies at this time, but there is much more application. Everyone is given something and is responsible for what we are given. We're responsible for what God has given to produce more according to our abilities. This is responsibility. And it seems like when he says, I know that you, you know, you harvest where you haven't planted, God is expecting us to do something with the life he's given us. That it isn't just for us. That it's his life we have to answer to him for what he has given us. That's frightening. Is anyone else frightened by that? that that's a little unnerving. It's like, am I, am I bearing the gold? Because he's not happy with that guy. That guy, it's not good. But the others who do something, 
invest and produce more good faithful. Well done. Enjoy the happiness. And there is a participation with the work of God that is taking place that produces this happiness, this connection, this invitation to be a part of it. Because we are taking the life that God has given us, taking the abilities and gifts that God has given us and putting them into practice, we are, in our, we are now participating with the work of God so that when he returns, we're a part of that work. It's interesting because when the, they take the bag of gold for the one, they give it to the guy with 10. I'm going to give you more. It's as if this investment is mine as well as his. And so the question that I ask myself is, what has God given me? And what am I doing with what God has given me? Am I investing my life? Or am I just living, just surviving? Am I like the scribes and the Pharisees? And I'm keeping, you know, I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm not doing anything good. Well, I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't drink and I don't cuss and I don't do these bad things, but I'm not doing anything good. And it would seem that God is requiring me to live a life of intention and not a life of laziness or complacency, that I am supposed to do something. What am I supposed to do? Well, it's according to my ability. So what am I able to do? Some of you are able to do more. Some of you have been given 10 bags. Some of us only given one. All I got is one bag, but I got one bag. And it's, isn't it great that God doesn't matter? He doesn't say, oh, yeah, you just got one. Good, faithful servant, hey. So, again, it's not that he's judging us for our ability, for our faithfulness. Anything stand out just in talking about this, about that? Yeah, Jillian. Yeah, yeah, very neat. It's there was he was away for a long time because he went to a far country. Our lives, however long they are, that's the time we got. Very cool. Anything else standing out to you guys? Challenging parable, isn't it? Isn't it kind of rattling you a little bit? It did me. Wow, okay. What if I got ten bags and I only produce five? You know, and I have this sensation. It's one of my fears is that I am not doing with my life all that I should be. I feel like I am so under achieving the potential that God has given me. 
and, and I feel that about all of you as well. Um, I, I just think that there is so much we can do. And I think we are very distracted. I think we can be, I can be very selfish with my time. I think I can be very lazy. And so these things kind of haunt me. And every now and then I, I think, what would have happened if long time ago I would have started implementing some of the things I feel like I am now? You know, where would I be if those kinds of things, those what ifs, you know, and I have to just start here because this is where I'm at. But I wonder, okay, well, then am I going to be able to take where I'm at and really move to where I need to be? Um, just challenges, challenges me. Okay, one, any, go ahead. Yeah. I think that the life that God has given us, if we say like the scribes and the Pharisees, refuse to live the life that God has given us and bury it, then what we have done is actually buried our own lives. I, I think there is a judgment for not living the life that God has called us to live. And that's outer darkness. That life is separation from God. That life is separation from life. And so, I mean, there's no way to escape the harshness of that verse. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm just sorry. I think it's a lot stronger. You know, the idea of darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth, Jesus has used that term before, and it's never been pretty. You know, it's never been good. It has to do with judgment. And, and this parable, when he deals with this person, it is judgment. And if we look at the Pharisees as maybe an illustration of what this is like, we can see Jesus' judgment to them because they devalued what God had given them and made it less. And so I think it can be that with us. And I think everyone has been given an ability and an awareness. We know that God is requiring from us that responsibility of how we live our lives and what we do with our lives. Everyone is responsible for that. And so in that broader sense, now what do you do with a life that refuses to acknowledge God but buries it, lives it selfishly, um, doesn't care that God is going to judge? Um, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. It has to do with just not doing anything with it you know, with what you're given. You know, again, it's a frightening, you know, conclusion there for that, you know. And it's one that Jesus intended to shock and make us wonder. Again, I, I think if we look at the context, too, with the Pharisees, we get an idea of what he might mean with that and rejection of the life that God has. No, well, again, it's going to be according to the abilities that you have. It might be just your involvement with other people, uh, how you extend yourself to the people in your neighborhood or to your family or to your colleagues at work or friends at school. It could be um, you have a desire to see something take place. Uh, 
you know, you want to provide a means to help other people make a living, start your own business, but you don't because it's easier to just work for this person. And then, you know, finally you do it and, wow, I should have done this a long time ago or something like that or start a nonprofit. I want to reach, you know, people who are involved in, you know, the sex slave trade industry. Uh, well, what are you doing? You're, you're moved to do that, but you don't do anything. You want to help those who are in another country or start, you know, something that would be all those things. I just read about this young girl. I don't remember her name. Um, she wanted for her birthday, she connected with Charity Water and she wanted to take the money that for her birthday and raise $300 for wells to build wells, you know, in other countries. And she raised $260 and then she was killed in a car accident. And the news of the accident and what she wanted to do spread. And now because of her and this, she, in her name, raised over a million dollars and has built wells all over the world and they showed her mom and dad um in i forget what country they were in a well that was provided for in her name you know and i just think oh my gosh nine-year-old girl you know who just desired to help and that desire to help was stronger than you know the ability to take her life and stop it and it was just you know one of those things that you know, I was weeping in the video, like, oh, this is so great. You know, it was just amazing because she cared. It pr produced so much more. And I think all of our lives have that. You know, we might raise $300, but there is a care and a desire that actually goes much deeper and much further if we would see it. And, and so um, I think that's what it means. It's, Thank you for the question, my dear. Yeah. You know, that's going to be a very personal thing. I I think it's important that that person moves in the direction that they want to move in. Because I might see something in someone, like even my kids. You know, oh, I'd love for my kid to be, you know, let's say a, a pastor. I don't really desire that for any of my kids, but if if that was the case and my kid doesn't want to be, if I try to push my kid into that place, it's kind of trying to put a square peg in a round hole sometimes. I might see abilities and try and encourage people in those abilities, but I think they have to own their gift. You know, and we can try and help people see their gift and embrace their gift and we can try and encourage them in those things, but it's going to be real important for them to take that and move with it and not be pushed or forced or coerced into those things. And so there's a balance there of encouraging, you know, um, what's that passage in Scripture to let us, you know, stir up one another to love and good works. I mean, we should do those things for each other, but your gift and your ability, God has given to you. And it's really important that you take ownership of it and responsibility for it and not depend on a pastor or someone else to give you the okay. And, and that's where I think, you know, there's been some problems, which is what we're going to be talking about in our new series, Identity Crisis. Um, how people are waiting for permission or wanting permission to serve God.
you know, well, I, I, you know, is it okay? Or, well, the church is doing this. I don't want to do something else. It's like, you are the church. You don't need permission to do the work of God. And if you're doing the work of God and we see it, we can jump on board and, and help you with it. But you don't need permission to do what God has given you to do. And so everyone has to kind of own that. It's good to be encouraged. I like it when people encourage me. You know, it's nice to someone to say, no, you're okay. <laughs> good. You know, especially when you feel like, oh, no, something's going on. You know, when you, someone leaves, you know, and they say, yeah, we're going to leave. We don't like you. Um, th- they don't usually say that, but, you know, you feel that way. It's like, you don't like me. and They're leaving. Everyone's going to leave, you know. And you fear, freak out and become afraid. And someone says, no, man, things are going good. I'm like, good, I'm glad you said that. It encourages me. And so I think that's important to encourage one another. But we have to own our own gifts. Yeah, they thought about it. They had intention and, you know, a mindful interest in those things. And it allowed them to be prepared and ready. Yeah, I know. My biggest problem sometimes is looking at the people with 10 bags. You know, I'm like, I want to be that person. They got 10 bags. Look how gifted they are. They speak so eloquently. You know, they are changing the world and I'm training dogs. You know, I mean, you can changing the world one dog at a time. You know, it's but, you know, you can you can get focused on someone else's, you know, what they've their abilities and then not make the most of yours. And I think that's real important that, you know, you recognize those things and you use them. Um, it's an important thing. This is a great parable. It's one of my favorites, even though it's frightening. Yeah, he's very generous. He's he's doing a lot of nonprofit work, especially in environmental things to help uh, other nations. Thank you very much. Yeah, the responsibility sometimes can be what hinder you. But again, it, it's, it all comes down to what you love and what you want to see happen. You know, there, there are times when I'm very discouraged and, you know, things, I'm just seeing things, the glasses, you know, just empty. And then something that I love, like connecting to people, to the truth and how to see the truths of Christ lived out in their lives and I have a conversation with someone and the glass is full, you know, and then the idea of how would you like to have more of that? It's like, I, that's what I want. I want more of that. And, and so I think that's what we have to look at is those things that we love and we do connect with that are of value to us and our abilities when those things are achieved and they inspire us. And God says, I want to give you more of that. You know, so it's not just the, the bad things, it's the things we live for that push us and make us want to, you know, continue in spite of those things. You know, it's like, well, oh yeah, these people are leaving, but I got to connect with these people and encourage them and, and see them get it. You know, the, the whole idea of this faith, living faith in Christ and how it, it shows up past the the religious obligation and becomes the reality of just who we are. And, and to see that take root in someone's life, I want more of that. You know, and when Jesus says, oh, you've been faithful in this one, I'm going to give you more of that. It's like, yeah, okay, 
I'll take more of that. Yeah, you know what? With that is going to probably be more people who leave and don't like me too. But that's okay. I'll live for that. You know, let him that's the thing that I want. And, and the, I think those are the things that God is giving us. It's according to those abilities that we have. And so don't let those fears paralyze you. Keep your eye on the things and the abilities and the the life you get from those things. Because I know there are things that spark in you when you get those things. And it happens with all of us when we connect and it's like, oh, I love this. Love it more. Let it be fuel for your life. Let it be something that inspires you to move and not just, oh, I loved that. That was nice. Now I'm going to go back and put the rest of the money in the hole. Makes sense? Thank you guys. Great, great stuff. Okay, let's finish this thing. The sheep and the goats. All right. Let's talk about judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So this is a bad thing. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of these, the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Heavy words. There is something that takes place and is similar in all three of these illustrations, the two parables and this last story that Jesus says. You guys catching what it is? What are people being judged for? It's for what they didn't do. They're not being judged for the wrongs that they did. They're being judged for what they failed to do. 
So this is kind of that sin of omission. And all three of these cases are about you didn't do this. You, you didn't prepare and have the oil that you needed. You didn't take the abilities, the gifts that I have given you and invest them. You didn't visit those who were the least, who were in need. And the judgment came because of what they failed to do. And there's no getting out of it. There's no taking this passage and diluting it. How we treat others really does matter. And how we treat others, Jesus sees as how we treat him. It's almost like a, a, a dichotomy that takes place. He's talking about the nations and the sheep and the goats and oh, the judgment. And he's talking about individuals. He's not judging just nations as a whole. He's judging all the people that are here. The whole idea is I'm judging the whole world and everyone in it. And this is how it, it's going to go down like sheeps and goats, and it's kind of an illustration similar to what takes place in Ezekiel, I forget where what chapter, but where there's this dividing, and I'm going to put judgment here on these people and not on these, but as he's judging, and this judgment's going to take place, he separates, and you guys are good, and then he tells them why. Why did we get in? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. You visited me in hospital and prison. You took care of me. When? When you did to the least of these. There's no getting out of how you treat people really, really matters to God. If you're a jerk to people, if you aren't kind to people, it really matters. And we should be careful how we act and interact with people. Because the idea here is if this person is created in the image of God and we treat them as less than, then we aren't valuing them the way God is. My one of my favorite quotes is that those who fail to recognize the value of people will fail to represent Jesus Christ. Because you cannot represent Jesus if you don't value people. Why? Because he gave his life for people. If he's giving his life for people, they're worth something. Do you recognize that or you disregard that? There was a story. It was a Roman soldier who was a follower of Christ. And he had this written down. His name was Martin of Tours was his name. And one day he was coming back into the city and he saw a man who was impoverished and freezing. And he had no money to give the man, but he had his cloak. And so what he did is he took his cloak and he ripped it in half and he gave half of it to this 
poor person, and then he kept the other half, and, and he went on his way. Got home, went to bed, had this dream, and he wrote this dream down. He said he had this dream, and he, he went to heaven, and as he was there in heaven, Jesus came out. And as Jesus came out, he was wearing this old, tattered, half-torn garment. And one of the heavenly hosts there said to Jesus, Jesus, why are you wearing that? Where did you get that garment? And he said, Martin of Tours gave it to me. And he woke up and he wrote it down because whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And it was his reminder. And if we could hold on to this, it would serve us well in how we deal with people. You guys ever have people that rub you the wrong way, irk you? Or maybe are a little eccentric in some ways and it, it's real easy to tease them, to put them down. Just remember this. How you treat them is how you're treating Jesus. I've shared this story a few times. Many of you guys remember Ed Freed. He's, he's since gone to be with the Lord. And Ed was a, a kind of eccentric guy. And Ed didn't like my music when I played. Um, he said it was loud. I always joke that he said it was deafening. Not deafening, deafening. I was killing him with my music. And I wasn't killing him softly. It was apparently loudly. And so Ed would say these things, you know, and he was kind of in my face about it. And I was like, okay, Ed, thanks for letting me know. Um, and, and Ed was diabetic, and every now and then his blood sugar would get too low and he would have a seizure and he would pass out. And there was on more than one occasion, at least three or four, where Ed would pass out and I would be there and I would have to go and get some orange juice that we kept in the refrigerator. And I would have to take Ed and put his head in my lap and start giving him orange juice and getting him to come around. And when Ed passed away, we were in Wales, a group of us. We were just going to Wales and he had passed away. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Ed's gone. And the fond memories I had of Ed and the thankful memories I had of him was when I was cradling him and giving him orange juice. And I felt like Jesus said, I'm glad you treated me that way. And so whenever I would see Ed in the hallway, I always had in my mind, be careful how you treat me. Jesus would be telling me, be careful how you treat me, because part of me wanted to go at him, especially when he criticize my music. That's a personal thing with us musicians. But I remember thinking, how you treat him is how you treat me. And it's, it's still something that I cherish, that I got to treat Jesus like that. You know, so Martin of Tours has this cloak around this poor person I'm going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to have a little thing of orange juice 
and say thanks. How you treat people matters. It really, really does. And so we need to remember this, that judgment is based on how we treat others, on what we fail to do. So any thoughts on these, this last illustration that Jesus gives? Okay, going once, going. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we need these parables. We need this illustration. We need these reminders. And Father, I am grateful for your words and how they inspire and they encourage and they reprove me. Lord, how you call us all to be more than we are and how you challenge us to be better than we are and how you remind us that how we behave and the things that we do matter. And that we will not only be judged for what we do, but there is judgment for what we fail to do. And so, Lord, may we not neglect those things that need to be done. May we not have lives that are still wanting. May we not come up short from the life you've given us and how we are to live it. And Father, may we take these things and may we allow them to entertain our thoughts. May they stay in our mind and in our heart. May we remember the importance of living lives that are mindful and ready for you, of taking what you've given us and investing it to further what you have given us ability to do and how we care for people is how we care for you. Lord, may we love as you love. And I thank you for this time, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>